computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we are fanatical about excellence and champions of ambition. And today we welcome Bernadette Chua, the managing partner of Positive Performance Consulting and author of Freedom Embraced. And today is all about culture. How do we assess it? How do you evaluate it? And how do you turn it into a culture where you can produce results? How can you use people's motivation? How can you use their dreams to tap into superior results in your company? But also how can you tap into the power of your dreams to produce higher levels of performance even when you don't want to? It's an awesome conversation. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump straight in. Where I want to start the conversation today is actually around company cultures. So we've talked about your kind of specialist in this area where you go into lots of different companies, talking about lots of different challenges from human resources through to uh, performance. And and I'm sure there's people who aren't performing as well. I wanted Mm -hmm. to understand what what are some of the biggest commonalities that you see or biggest issues that you see at the moment, especially in this world of where we've kind of transitioned to hybrid workplaces and, and things like that? Yeah. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. Um, I think what some of the common challenges that we're facing is that, you know, one, from the professional's perspective or the employee perspective, they're so used to, you know, having to work from home, right? So a lot of them are finding, or at least I'm hearing from them, they're finding re- a tad reluctant to be going back to a physical workspace, you know, because they say, they share with me that B, you know, uh, I could do my work just as well, you know, and um, I have a comfortable space at home for my workspace I set up. So, that's one of the transitional challenges I think companies are facing because so far, like more from the local perspective in Singapore, a lot of companies are more comfortable still seeing their employees back at work. Whereas some of the more progressive companies are starting to say, okay, how can we do a hybrid model? Mm. So that was, that has been one of the biggest, uh, I think, challenge companies are facing at the moment. The other one I'm um, hearing from the ground uh, is really about the whole great resignation last year. I think this has a real impact. You know, professionals are starting to to think about, hey, do I really want to do this? You know, what is more important? uh, Mm. Or how do I have purpose and impact in what I do? Mm. Um, So the third one is, it seems to sense, right? Maybe you can also add on because I know you do a lot of uh, sharing with the companies that I seem to sense that some companies or management are still kind of using the pandemic as a reason for them not moving forward. You know, like, okay, because it was a pandemic, so that's why we we are like that, you know. And whereas in my experience during the during the past few years, when companies have a plan and a strategy in place, they were able to effectively pivot really quick. So this is some of the things that I'm start, I'm noticing right now as well. Yeah, yeah interesting. So, uh, I mean, I want to dig into, so you're a, a, what I would probably call a specialist around happiness, right, in tapping into how to create happiness. And I'm intrigued to know whether you think happy people create good cultures or whether good cultures can create happy people. Is there... Is there a chicken and egg in that environment, Bernadette? Or does one have to precursor the first or the other? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, sometimes I'm surprised that not even till this day and age, right, where there's so many well-documented research pieces that if there's a happy culture, it's an advantage. You know, there's actually um, lower, lower absenteeism, people are more performing better, higher and all that. But people are still refusing to believe that uh, happy is possible. And mm. I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, about your question. Is I think it's both. 
One is on the whole entire business framework, the whether the leaders and the management even want to look at that. And I think the biggest thing is about thinking of if you want to create a culture that supports positive performance cultures and also happiness at the same time, it has to be consistent. We don't treat people well when times are good. It's easy to treat people well when times are good. What about when it's in a dire state? How do we still maintain that? So I think that's one of the things that uh, is running through a lot of professionals' mind, right? And the other one is I'm also curious and intrigued because there have been professionals that I speak with who till this to today think that, you know, I just go to work for work, you know, let's forget about being happy. So I think it's mm. both areas of mindset that we we can look at. One, and then two is about how do we effectively design a strategy or a culture blueprint centered around that? So that it's not just about happiness. So sometimes in some companies, they just focus on happiness, but they don't ensure that it's so productive or successful mm. and sustainable. So it's quite different. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask about that because you yeah. see, like, if you think back to the early days of like Google and you saw the beanbags oh, yeah. and the table tennis, you know, yes. and it's... Um, all right, well, how would you explain the difference between happy versus, I don't know, yeah, I think a lot of people find that a little bit, especially if you've got perhaps more senior people. I mean that I mean senior by older people. Um, if they're leading companies, they often look at those kind of things as a bit fluffy. Would you mm-hmm. would you agree with that? Like is that is it kind of like is it is there too much focus on happiness and not enough on, you know, real kind of performance metrics at work? Or what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I think um, I can share an anecdotal account that I heard. I think the challenge is not about whether is it been back pool table or a once a year anniversary spending kind of thing. I think it's about getting your people involved in your design for the strategy. Uh, what do I mean by that? So I was I was um, in a company to give a lunchtime talk and off the cuff, off the record, I shall not mention which company, the um, the executive that was with me shared, you know, B, when we moved from our old premises, and they're really a large company, when we moved from old premises to the new one, at the time it was years ago, hot desking was all the rage, right? Everybody wanted a hot desk. So they decided to just change the entire workspace into a hot desking format. And he shared, he said, you know what? Everybody's so unhappy now. The whole culture, the employee satisfaction, survey ratings all went down. And I was surprised to say, oh, did they not consult? You know, how do they, the people feel? They say, no, no one was ever consulted. It was an executive decision made right at the top. And this is where I tell companies that, hey, if you're planning strategies, right, initiatives, even on well-being and all that, right, why not ask your people? Is still planning for my call a castle on the crowd. Uh, sorry, a castle up on the, in the clouds. Get a pause conversation. So for us, uh, most of the times when I we're doing strategies or initiatives or blueprint, the first thing I would recommend is to do what we call a pause conversation. So we go into the ground, we talk to people, we understand what actually drives them. Because every single company is different. So at one stage, everyone wanted to be like Google. But the Google whole culture may not be suitable for the kind of culture you want to build. Right, uh, so I think that is where I would say it's not this or that, but rather listen from the grounds, and then with that kind of data or information, then you can shape to be a very integrated, intentional kind of culture, so that all departments are also aligned, and more importantly, the culture you want to build is aligned to your business strategy and goal. Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, that's how we see it over company. So let's talk about that a bit more. So. 
where do you start then? Do you start with a strategy and then you design a culture to that? Or do you start with a culture and create strategy? What do you think? Yeah. Hey, awesome question. I was just off a client conversation earlier and that was exactly what you were asking us. You know, like, so yeah. how, where do we start? So I say first, please have a business plan. That's the first question I always ask all companies, the business owners or the business leaders. What is your business strategy, right? Now I we're looking at a very in a flux kind of thing. I think you would at least have a three-year strategy in place, mm-hmm. a business strategy, and a year-on-year tactical plan. Now with the strategy, then you have a compass or a direction of where to go. Then I would suggest then then we can do what we call, what we term as a business culture blueprint, where we go and very intentionally integrate all of the initiatives related, for example, processes and procedure team and management, leadership and uh, and uh, management and strategic framework to then build that kind of culture that you want. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So, and then the third would then be all your other processes and looking at what else you need. So I think these two pieces is quite essential so that you have a very sustainable kind of work and not depending on when, you know, when times are good, we, we treat our people well. When times are not mm. good, there are no more human beings, you know. I mean, I don't want to go into it, but with the recent, all of the layoffs and everything, right? You can do it in a very humane way, treating a person as human person, or you can uh, treat, do it in a very business profitability only kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, does for sure. Sense? What do you think, Michael? Does it make sense? Yeah, no, I think I think it does. I think it's, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, companies at the moment, you know, they've gone through COVID. A lot of them, have really embraced the change, which they've kind of been confronted with. I know some of the companies mm-hmm. I work with, like they've been you know, really, you know, really stepped into this hybrid working style and yeah. they just do, um, they do events now on a monthly basis yeah. to bring the team together. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very social. Um, from my experience, I kind of like find that a bit strange, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm mm-hmm. socializing so heavily with, mm-hmm. um, and, and off the office is becoming like a social place, which I think is, I think for people who've, were grown up in a culture where it was very business you know you come to the office mm-hmm. for business and now for it to transition to where it's a place of almost like a social interaction that i think that's quite interesting to see and i think that can mm-hmm. be quite a bit unnerving for some people mm-hmm. um okay. but i i want to just touch on to you when we were talking before you were talking about the difference between a high performance culture versus a positive performance culture so i'm interested to know like what, what how would you see they they're different and what, what how would you differentiate those kind of two things yeah. Uh, well, this was just based on the observation. I mean, the high performance a uh, culture has been a term that's been used for a while now. Uh, the challenge is that depending on people's understanding of that term, right? Sometimes they go like, okay, so that group is a high performer because one year, two year, two they achieve this, but they may not necessarily be promoting a positive culture. So they are high performer, but the attitude may be one of an individual star, for example. Mm. You know, rather than one that's aligned, say, for example collaborative or co-creation kind of mindset. So in positive performance, we look at two things, positive in terms of the attitude, the behavior, and all those things that you want aligned to your company's values and your company's kind of a long-term kind of sustainable, successful kind of positive culture. Then the other, we look at the performance. So it's, it's whereas some companies, right, think like, okay, we, we must, our employees must be happy and everything. And then they feel really bad when their employees are not performing and yet they refuse to tell their employee. And I think that's not actually useful as well. So the performance needs to come in as well in the sense that, hey, if you are engaged for this work, right, let's perform it. Let's value create, right? 
And then we talk about so your positive uh, positive kind of behavior in terms of your attitude, how are you working as a team, things like that. Yeah. So that's how okay. we kind of like work on that. So how do you, because performance is an interesting word, right? So obviously podcast is called Intelligent Performance. We, we would call ourselves fanatical about excellence in human endeavor. Mm-hmm. And um, but the tricky thing about performance, right, is often you have to confront where you suck or where you made a mistake or something. You have to be looking for continuous improvement. So, and and, and often in a company context, that means challenging people, saying, you know, Bernadette, that report you did, not that great. Really need you to, you know, next time you do it, I need you to do X, Y, Z. So how are you kind of, how do you create a culture and, and one of, where they've got that safety to 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 focus on that ambition to act because it's without that that's what i find uh it becomes very it's almost impossible to access higher levels of performance right would that would that be your expertise or kind of yes. perspective too absolutely so using that example a lot of managers would t- typically just say what you said so we have a for example we have a program called coaching for performance in right. which we we suggest and recommend to managers and leaders inspiring way you know how, how do you give feedback but rather what we call feed forward in a very positive way so for example instead of saying hey that report is terrible how can you do it better right i don't think that's very motivating i might say hey michael you know um look at the report here are three suggestions that i think could further enhance it what do you think so it becomes a very very engaging developmental kind of conversation they perceive as a criticizing kind of conversation so there's a little things that we could do a differentiation on you know, um, but that's one level. The other one is really about the policies. How does your company support growth, right? And what does growth mean? It doesn't mean people don't make mistakes, but it means how do we embrace? Um, that's why I love Carol Dweck's work on uh, growth mindedness. Mm. You know, some companies that imprinted that in as a learning culture, right? So when we make a mistake, are we open enough to share about it? How can we all learn from it? So an example in one company that we were consulting with, you know, they're a very uh, awesome PR agency. You know, they've expanded from a local company to across the region. And, and um, so one of the things when we sat into the to the team meetings, a lot of juniors were afraid to share, especially maybe, you know, the reality is sometimes we'll lose accounts, sometimes we have accounts, right? But it was changed and shaped in a way that, okay, this is the highlight. What have we worked well? So every every uh, department share about what well, so that every single department can learn from one another, right? And then we went to what we call low lights, you know, where okay, we have made one mistake in this. What can we learn from it? It became a great mm-hmm. moment, and I found that there was such a great shift because even the juniors were encouraged that they, there was a psychological safety to share. They're not being shamed. They're not being criticized, but rather it is a reality. We all learn from it. You know, and um, I think this is all stage out. You know, like there's so many things we can do to support that in the way managers communicate, in the way, uh, for example, uh, we even redesigned the onboarding program. So mm. when every single new employee come in, they're already geared up for the kind of attitude, the kind of mindset is aligned. So nobody feels out of place, you know, and, and I think that's how they support it. You know, yeah. Does that answer uh, some of the things you're the thought that you're having in your mind, yeah. Yeah, it, it does. I guess I'm, I'm interested to understand how you would navigate, because I'm sure there might be people listening who go, yeah, it's all fair and well, but we've got to get, we've got to get, we've got to get things happening, right? And I wonder mm-hmm. if, like, 
in Australia in particular, we see some major demographic shifts changing at the moment. Yeah. We've got um, we've got a whole bunch of Gen X, sorry, uh, baby boomers. They're all starting to leave on mm. mass, right? They're retiring. And so you've got millennials, Gen Xers coming into mm. the fore and they're starting to take up leadership positions. So, but we've also got a big swathe of, I think it's the Gen Zs coming through where they're, where they're like, oh, it's their first job. It's their, you know, we mm. want this. And companies are having to become almost politicized or fight social causes well beyond just, you know, profit centers these days. So mm. how are you seeing that play out? Like, is there a... Is it tricky to get that con- congruency between the different kind of demographics, or how how are you finding that? Yeah, that's a great question. This uh, those are some of the work that we have been engaged to work with. Because we, right. you know, uh, what can your team do? You know, we're having this. You know, we're more seniors. You know, they are feeling that they can't. And I think it's um the easiest right now. I mean, the different strategies we employ, right? But one of the things I I felt is this labeling thing. You know, you, we almost label a whole generation to say that this whole generation, they're not. So like the owners of tell me, be, you know, these young people, you know, they're just, but it's not true. I've met really young people who are totally professional. They want to value create. It's really depend about the kind of environment they've got in. Are they hungry for things, right? So mm. I, I, the first thing I suggest to people is stop labeling. Mm. <laughs> you know, stop labeling. <laughs> right. Like, because, but the fact that we're, we're labeling, we're really creating unconsciously this, Segmentation, isn't it? Yeah, it's divide yeah. almost. Yeah. The second one I'll say something that everyone can uh, hold to is this whole thing about unconditional positive regards. It was first approached by a the psychologist Carl Rogers. You know, when we especially across the generations, right? So the unconditional positive regards he uses in his therapy work, but I felt it's so powerful for us in our conversations with people. Like, you know, so when someone behaves in a way that is totally different from our experience our model of the world, we pause. I'm not asking people to accept it, but we pause. It's still a jump to say, ah, that is the young people again. You know, that kind of thing. We both pause and say, okay, I'm not understanding that. I'd like to find out more. Help me understand. I think it's, it's that people have a reason for behaving the way they behave. And I think that opens up whole dimension. And, and that's one of the reasons why people often ask my team, how come you guys can just talk to anybody, you know? I mean, I've talked to like all the way from uh, the service like the, the cooks at a cafe, right? All the way to the C-suites, you know? I've talked to like people who are the reset or chauffeur in a company and we can always transfer that. And I think the main human thing is we all want to be respected as a human being. If I come in sensing, you know, in my book, I wrote about like different uh, unconscious biases, right? If I mm-hmm. come in sensing that you already have a bias against me, I'm not going to be able to share. So that's something that people can do very easily. The third thing is about conversations. Okay. I think, I think you said about socializing. I think socializing without an intent is actually a waste of time. I, what I mean is that what I mean I is that, that <laughs> what I mean is that uh, that's why I, I came up with this whole blueprint thing so that everything is integrated and intentional. So if you want to hold a socializing, we need to recognize that you have introverts there, you have extroverted there, you have people who mm. learn visually, kinesthetically, uh, or auditory. How do a professional, whether is it the under the welfare department or the HR department, how do you get all of this into space, right? How do you create a safe space for people to socialize in a nice way? Mm. You know, an open conversation. So I think all this has to be thought of. So don't just throw initiative because it's the in-trend thing to do. I think we'd be very more strategic and intentional in the way we build it 
and yet people have a very good time. So I, I like conversations. You know, I can talk about experiences where we just had conversations. Like, can I, can I just share one example in, in a company? Yeah. So in one in one company, they didn't particularly like this finance manager or director because to, in their perception, all the managers and the team felt like she was always on the side of the company, never on their side. She's always asking like, okay, Michael, why are you taking this? You know, why are you asking for extra money in the company? Mm. They all didn't like her. Sounds right? like a good finance manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they didn't recognize that, right? So I went in and then in one of the conversations, all the leadership with all of them there, the simple conversation starter which we designed was, I asked them about values. I say, tell me, when you come to work, right, what are three top values that are important for you? So everybody had a share. So she was the last to share. The first thing she said was profitability of the company. So everybody went, you could almost hear like the smoke, right? Oh, there she goes again. So I asked the next question. I said, why is profitability of the company important for you? And she said this, Michael, she said, so that all of my colleagues will have their job. That was absolutely, you could almost say like, oh my goodness, we, we kind of like misunderstood her. You know? And so weeks after that, they, they smiled mm -hmm. a lot more. And I think it's because nobody ever designed such kind of meaningful questions, isn't it? Mm -hmm. As part of a, and I told sales, I tell sales team, right? They're the most driven, right? I always tell sales teams, I know you want performance, you want essence, but treat them as a human being, right? Can you not design your sales meeting with conversation starters? energizing starters that they regain that right mm. what is what is one great experience you had from a client last week mm. oh, what is one difficult challenging moment you had with a client last week how can we support one another you know starting off that rather than saying okay what's your sales figure last week like oh yeah. you know that just gets people there so i, I always say positive performance culture start with all of these small things mm. you know and a lot of things doesn't need budget huh? So companies always say, yeah, we, we would do that even for budget, you know, but it, it doesn't, right? Conversation, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So I think it, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that it really comes down to, well, you know, what you're really good at by the sounding Bernadette is actually, A, that first of all, that ability to, to talk to anyone, which I, I, I envy um, from you. I certainly find that kind of like quite a scary prospect <laughs> speaking to everyone. And so, but it sounds like so you you talk about in your book you know freedom embraced where it's about providing freedom to everyone effectively in their own way by the sounds of things and so it it sounds like you're able to kind of dance between those different things and find the commonality would that would that be right yeah and I think what I've discovered with speaking to different across right from I used to work in the nonprofit sector so I I was working with youth that are now into the workforce. You know, yeah. and working with retirees and, and you know, uh, self-made people, businessmen. But what I found most common is that I believe, right, Michael, that no one actually wakes up early in the morning saying that, hey, I want to be the most grumpy manager possible. I'm going to be the most uh, finicky leader ever. I'm going to be the most unhelpful colleague. I think no one wakes up wanting to be a nasty person. That's my fundamental belief. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's because when we go to work, you know, we, we due to stresses at work, you know, maybe the plan. So we, we don't have a strategy or a, a tool to manage that, right? And as a result, it just accumulated. So that's the thing I realized that everybody actually has a dream. Everybody wants, even if the dream means I just want to earn enough money, I, I'm not bothered about passion at work, but I just want to earn enough money to feed my elderly parents, for example. That's the dream, you know, and I think... That is the thing that allows, if we can understand and respect people as a human being, 
with dreams for whatever they want to do and not impose a modern world. I think this came very strongly when I had a reunion with my ex-polytechnic friends. After 20 years, we met up. So everyone was talking about the passion, you know, uh, we do this. And, and then it came to one of my, my friends, you know, from school. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't have a passion for what I do in my job, but she's a professional, so she's executed. She says, I work because it allows me the capacity to have the means to have meaningful moments with my children and my family. It gives yeah. me the means to do that. And I told myself, hey, that's cool, right? This whole thing of a passion is overrated. Mm. Not everybody needs a passion, you know. And I know some of my um, coaches, you know, in the acceptance coaching, they came to me, they said, you know, they were quite traumatized when they went for other coaching. But they were asked, so what is your passion? You know, and they said, uh, well, they felt like now I have to justify and find a passion. But actually, I was just really happy just to focus to it. And yeah. it is fine too. I think this whole thing about transversing is respecting that all of us are different. But fundamentally, we all want to be respected as a human being, even the cleaner on the street, and we all have dreams. Mm. It's just that my dream may be different from yours. And the thing is this whole thing about respect. And I think that will easily allow you to cross across all levels to speak to anyone. Yeah. Interesting. So I think, at least from the takeaway I'm, I'm hearing from there, is really as a, as a leader in an organization, it's or if you're trying to lead, or trying to get people to, to come together, mm -hmm. as it were. It's actually about understanding by the sounds of things, mm -hmm. understanding yes. first and taking an interest and then trying to weave different dreams together in a, in a kind of compatible mm -hmm. way and, and providing a space for that in, in a company environment. Is, is that right? Yes, and then also role modelling and respecting, especially as a leader. Yeah, so I remember right. uh, about two years ago, we were working with a construction company in our sector. So in Singapore, the construction sector has been a bit besmirched in the sense that you know some employers don't treat their workers right. So in one company we were designing, the, the managing director was fantastic. He, we had an event where he went down to every single of his workers, 200 of our employees, and shook their hand and told them, thank you for being here. Thank you for leaving your family to come and work with us. Thank you. I appreciate you. And, you know, some of them were crying and all that. And I thought, wow, this is what it means to be a leader, isn't it? You know, where you can get down and respect every single one. It doesn't matter where you're at. Because I share with them, I say for this, for some of the workers, right, you're almost like the president of my country. You know, to them, to be able to have that one-to-one -one moment with you is so precious mm. in a sense. Yeah. So I think it's that humanness. Yeah. I, what, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's look I think I think it's absolutely critical and also really hard to do on a mm -hmm. practical basis you know yeah and I think it can be really tricky when leaders have pressure on them commercially mm. and then it's particularly it's even harder actually if you're a middle manager where mm. maybe leadership is just part of what you do rather than yeah. the whole gig and I think that, yeah. that that has complications. But I think, look, the theory of it is sound. I think just the application is always tricky. And I think having creating cultures in businesses where that's the norm or that's what that there's room for that. I think that that that's really, really amazing. So I actually want to finish, Bernadette, with one last question sure. is like, why are you so passionate about this? <laughs> because there's you know, there's lots of things to be like you exude passion. What was it? Where did the kind of the the, the the penny drop for you where did you kind of what kind of had you go oh man this, this is it for me or this is where i really want to focus 
Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think uh, when I first started out, I've always wanted to make a positive difference. I think we are meant to be able to achieve our dreams and also to be able to flourish and also to support one another. So I think in the later years right now, the penny drop in the sense that I want, I realize that I have the capacity to speak to leaders. So in a way, we can shape the whole entire change, right? Because a lot of the one-to-one -one coaching that I used to do maybe five years ago, when I look back, the greatest stressor was always work. You know, all of my coaches, they were so stressed with work that when they leave their work, they, they felt there was no more energy left to be a great mother, a great father, a great brother, sister, son, daughter, and to communicate the community, to contribute to the community. So I, I thought, okay, what can I do to support that shift in the system? Mm. And I think that's one of the areas why I, I keep going in to talk to leaders. I also want to hear from the ground because there's no use to just plan with the leaders without invitation from the ground. I think the greatest thing is that if, if we all, maybe, maybe this quote that I saw, you know, a few years ago, where it says by Charles, I think, Bruboski, he says, um, a free soul is rare, but you know when you meet a free soul because you feel really, really good when you're around them. Mm. And so when I first came across the quote, I then challenged myself to, how can I consistently be a free soul? I know that I am free, so people feel happy, but you know, consistency, right? Whether I'm in a bad mood or everything, I can be consistent. But last year, or rather the year before when I was starting to write the new book, I challenged that quote. I said to myself, why must the free soul be rare? Why couldn't we amplify goodness and have more people feeling really good about who they are, how they can value and contribute at work, and then how can they go back and still be all of the other roles? And I think that's what's challenging me now to move forward with that passion to allow people to to feel that to have the strategy so that they can consistently be able to evoke and amplify goodness around them and even within themselves as well yeah awesome what an amazing answer Melita. and i think a super worthwhile like course and i implore yeah if you're listening to this uh, freedom embrace which um Benedict, you really you launched on friday um sounds like it's a it's a super practical essentially it's like a it's like a handbook for accessing freedom with loads of different resources which you can use by the sounds of things personally but also at work and also in your family so mm -hmm. it sounds super super helpful and Bernadette with that I'm afraid we'll have to draw it to a close but thank you so sure. much for your time well, thank I you really, Michael yeah we really appreciate you sharing your expertise and insight especially around culture I think it in this hybrid working world culture is really tricky um, mm. And I think how we built culture previously um, was kind of like it happened by accident. Whereas these days, I think Rick re requires a lot more intentionality. So I think yeah. it's a it's a topic Absolutely. which a lot of people are, are thinking about. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you all for listening in. Yeah. My pleasure.